Foreman podcast should not be interpreted as legal advice and are intended for general information purposes only. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Burr and Foreman's podcast series, where we talk about labor and employment issues. We're glad you decided to join us, and we hope that this conversation will provide helpful information to you and some practical advice for you to consider as you try to navigate what 2021 will bring. 2020 was quite the challenge, and we hope that you have used Burr and Foreman's resources to try to navigate some of those issues. Ron and I this morning are going to be talking about what we anticipate in 2021. My name is Brant Smithini. I'm the chair of the Labor and Employment Practice Group at Burr and Foreman, and I work in the Birmingham office and have focused my practice on labor and employment issues for 25 years. For those of you who are new to Burr and Foreman, we're a 100-year-old full-service law firm with 360 attorneys in eight states and 19 offices throughout the Southeast. We have one of the largest and most experienced labor and employment teams in the entire region. Today, I'm joined by my partner, Ron Flowers, and Ron and I have been working together for a long, long time. Ron also focuses his practice on labor and employment issues. Ron, introduce yourself. Happy New Year, everybody. We're talking today about predictions for 2021, 2022. We hope that these predictions are a lot more accurate than they would have been in 2020 and that this is a more predictable year, but hope everybody's doing well and hope to see everyone soon. Yeah. So the last time you and I talked, Ron, we talked about the same issue. The issue is what is a Biden administration going to look like? What impact is it going to have on labor and employment laws as we move forward over the next four years? Unfortunately, the last time you and I talked, it was mid-November of 2020, and one or two things have happened since then. This conversation that we're going to have this morning, I hope, will update people on what to expect, what some of the changes that we anticipate will look like, and offer some solutions for companies that are trying to figure out how to deal with it. When we talked in mid-November, you and I both expected the Georgia Senate races to turn out a little bit differently than they did. I doubt anyone listening to this podcast hasn't already heard, but we have a 50-50 split between the Republican and the Democrat caucuses as we head into this new administration. And Vice President Kamala Harris will be poised to break any ties. So it is a, a little bit different than what we expected, which was the Republicans to control the Senate. That's not what happened. From a big picture perspective, Ron, what do you what, what is it what do you think this means? What impact do you think it will have in the in the grander scheme? Yeah, and we also didn't predict what happened at the Capitol, but I don't, I don't think anybody else did either. Um, right. but yeah, so the Democrats do have control of the Congress. They, they have a 50-50 split in the Senate, and Vice President Harris will have the deciding vote. I mean, that has a big impact. With the Republicans in control of the Senate, the House could pass a bill, but then it would never see the light of day because McConnell would never have it brought to a vote with the Senate. So that'll change. The Democrats will be able to control what bills are voted on. They'll have the committee chairmanships. With the 50-50 split, there could be some agreements to allow some Republicans to keep their committee head positions, but we'll have to see about that. And there's been a lot of commentary that now with the Democrats in charge of the Senate, that there should be a wave of legislation progressively related to labor and employment issues. But if you remember back to 2008, when President Obama took office, there was a Democratic Senate then as well, and it was a stronger majority than it is today. And there was a lot of talk about the Employee Free Choice Act, which was going to take away the secret ballot election and other progressive legislation. But most of that did not go through. 
And the primary reason is the filibuster, which is still in place. And so to be able to bring a vote to the table and to stop debate on the vote, it takes 60 votes in the Senate. And so for legislation to get passed, at least at this point in time, the Democrats are going to have to have 60 votes, which will require some Republican votes, which they're unlikely to get on something that's significantly progressive. On some of the progressive items, the progressive components of the Biden agenda then, because of the filibuster and and, and also really just some of the Democrats having more moderate posture on some of these issues, we would anticipate that it's still going to be difficult for Biden to pass through legislation, at least a lot of the progressive items that are on his agenda. Is that the way you see it? Yes, for sure. And Biden had, as we talked about before, the most progressive labor agenda that any president has ever had, basically overturning labor law as it's been for the past 80 years. But those aren't going to pass, and those are likely not even to be brought to vote in the Senate. If some of that was brought forward, and we'll talk about what that would be in a little while, But that could have an impact on the 2022 election because some of it is so far left. What you're likely to see is more center of the road type legislation that has some support from both parties. One item is paid leave, which a lot of Republicans, Ivanka Trump, has shown support for some paid leave. We'll talk about that more in a minute. You could see some small minimum wage increases, um, the Bostock decision expanded the discrimination to include the Title VII, to include both um, transgender and sexual orientation discrimination. You could see a some legislation related to that as well that could pass both houses. Yeah. And the reason for that mainly is because that's sort of bipartisan now, because some of those seem to be, we're a little bit past it, right? I mean, we We've had paid leave as a part of the FFCRA. We've had the Bostock decision now, and so they have become more mainstream views and really not as progressive as they used to be. And so that that's the sort of thing that we could anticipate some legislation because it is now considered more middle of the road. In the past, there have been a couple occasions where the nuclear option has taken place, where Um, One of the parties in the Senate has said, we're going to do away with the filibuster rule. That's unlikely here. Some of the moderate senators have said that they're not in favor of doing away with the filibuster. So I think we're we're not going to see the progressive legislation that some of the Democrats would like. Right. So given that, Ron, you know, one of the ways that we have seen changes in labor laws in the past have been through agencies. And the National Labor Relations Board in particular is where most of the developments have occurred in a union's ability to more easily organize a workforce. Right now, that board makeup is three Republicans, one Democrat, and there's a vacancy. And I think most folks expect that that vacancy will be filled immediately by Biden, and one of the three Republicans' terms actually expires in August. So how quickly can we expect to see the NLRB begin to move to implement changes that will impact both, you know, unionized workforces, but also non-unionized workforces? Well, it's going to take some time, as you said. So it is a 3-1 majority currently. So that, assuming that the Senate will confirm Biden's nominee, then there'll be a 3-2 majority for Republicans. But the next time that one of the Republican board members is, is set to have their term expire is in August. So in August, it's possible that Biden will nominate a board member. And if he gets confirmed by the Senate, then the Democrats will have a majority. 
Now, you're likely to see at the end of the term for the Republicans board with the Trump administration that you could see some board decisions come out in the next few days, which are on important issues. Once Biden takes office, he'll appoint the chairman or chairwoman of the board who will have some authority as to which decisions come before the board in the immediate future versus in August when there's a Democratic majority. So with the board or with any lawsuits or or charges, it takes some time for them to come before the board. And so the cases actually have to get filed. You know, they have to go through the administrative law judge and they have to get appealed to the board before those changes can actually happen. So as we saw with Trump, it takes a couple years before board decisions start changing. So we've got a little time, but we know that there were there are some changes coming. And and what do you think those changes will be? What 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 sort of impact is it going to have on the actual employer who's managing a workforce out there? Employers have been through this before. You know, it seems like every 4 years, every 8 years, decisions are changing. Whether it's your micro bargaining units, which has changed with the Trump administration from the Obama administration, from the Bush administration, that's likely to change at some point in time to allow more micro units and not requiring you know, your full non-exempt workforce to be part of the bargaining unit. Certainly the rules and the decisions that came out in the Obama administration related to protected concerted activity apart from union organizing which restricted certain handbook rules, such as confidentiality and investigations, restrictions on you know, cameras or recording in the workplace, your social, social media and email decisions that came out. Those are all likely to you know, go back towards the way they were in the Obama years. You know, that's just the nature of our, our labor system is that whenever the presidency changes, the labor board decisions change. And I think there's no reason to expect that the Biden board will act differently from how the Obama board acted four years ago. And so we have those issues that are out there. We also have, you know, in addition to this makeup of the board, we have the Department of Labor's general counsel position that's going to open up in November of 2021. That term is set to expire. Any predictions on what the new person in that role will look like and and how much impact can a Department of Labor general counsel have on actual practical real life developments? It can have significant impact. And currently, Peter Robb is in the general counsel role. His term is set to expire in September, I believe, or sometime this fall. There's been a lot of pressure on Biden to just go ahead and terminate him. There's certainly a question as to whether that's legal for him to do. And there could be challenges if he does terminate Peter Robb. A lot of the pro-labor advocates have been saying that's something that needs to happen right away so the uh, NLRB can start implementing the changes that they want to see happen quickly. It's never been done before that the acting general counsel has been terminated by the president. John Roberts, when he was with the executive department, had actually written an opinion that it was something that was legal to do. So that could come up later on. But there could be some political backlash if he terminates Rob, because that could make it more difficult for him to get his nominees, particularly with the NLRB through the Senate, if Rob is terminated. But it's likely to be someone you see like Marty Walsh, who is the Secretary of Labor, which we'll talk about, who was um, nominated by Biden. He, he wants to see like long-term union people in these positions. And he's a union man. He's got a very pro-labor agenda, and that's who we're going to see in a general counsel role in any of the NLRB positions 
that he, he makes nominations for. But he does have to get them through the Senate, which is easier to do if they're somewhat more moderate. So one particular piece of legislation that we've seen Biden propose is called the PRO Act. What is that? And do you think that this is still something that will be on Biden's wish list in 2021? And how, how realistic do you think it is that the PRO Act could be enacted? It was part of his platform and really the central part of Biden's labor platform during the election. And that was, I think, largely to get support from unions and get donations from the different unions, which he was very successful in doing. But the PRO Act is just the most aggressive labor legislation that there's ever been. It's just like a union wish list as to every potential law change that they could have. Now, it would put into law most of the changes that the Obama NLRB made, such as the ambush election rules, the restrictions on persuader activity rules that would limit employer communication during election campaigns. It would do away with right to work laws. It would increase the penalties that you would have for unfair labor practices. It would allow employees to bring unfair labor practices in court and have a private right of action. It would require binding arbitrations for a first contract once the union was voted into a workforce. It is an extremely aggressive piece of legislation. I think the likelihood of it passing is very, very small. Uh, Your moderate Democrats in West Virginia and Arizona, King and Maine, they're not likely to agree to this legislation. You may see it passed by the House and brought to the Senate just smaller pieces of it. But um, with the filibuster in place, I don't think there's really much of a chance that, that that will go through. Yeah, I agree with you. It sounds to me when you describe all of the pieces of legislation that are within that act, that people who would benefit the most are lawyers. But I'm not sure that it's very realistic that it's going to be enacted. It would be a busy two years before the Democrats are voted out of both houses in 2020. Right. That is exactly right. So one of the things that you just mentioned and I wanted to talk about, and it's probably the most significant development that's occurred since the last time you and I presented on this topic, is the nomination of Marty Walsh as Secretary of Labor. This is a, a really aggressive move. You know, you mentioned it, but Walsh is currently the, the Boston mayor and he's a former union boss. He, he's not someone who has just, you know, been supported by the unions or has supported the unions. He was literally the boss of a union in, in Boston. So. How has this been received and what impact do you think that this nomination might have on the agenda? Will it change it or does it just show how aggressive Biden intends to be? I think it mainly just kind of emphasizes his agenda and shows the direction that he wants to head and the support he wants to give for unions. One of his main goals, particularly in labor and employment, is to increase union representation and to reverse the decrease in, in union membership throughout the private sector and, and also the public sector. And you're right, Walsh, he's been a union guy for basically since he got out of high school. He's, he was in a union. He's the first secretary of labor in over 50 years who was actually a union member. And he rose up through the union ranks and became the head of the laborers union and had that held that position for a long time before he became head of the Building and Trades Council, which is a group of 20 unions in Boston. And then he got elected mayor after that. So he's basically been in the unions until he became mayor. And he's had an aggressive labor um, position as mayor in Boston. He made a a strong push for the $15 minimum wage. He came down hard on independent contractors 
and gig workers in Boston and tried to make them become employees rather than independent contractors. He has had some success of bringing new companies to Boston, and he sought to have a, an economic agenda that would attract new companies and has had some success with that. He's also been very strict on workplace safety and COVID. So I think that's likely to be one of his first agenda items. Um, but certainly his push is labor and his focus, I, I would say, throughout his time as Secretary of Labor is to do anything he can to make it easier for unions to represent new workers. Yeah, I'd like to believe that everybody's first agenda item is COVID. So hopefully, uh, you know, hopefully that's going to be a focus of the administration as it begins. But, you know, one of the things that I wanted to talk about a little bit, I mean, most of the folks listening to this podcast, Ron, are probably not unionized. You know, that's that's probably more likely than not that that they're not currently um, managing or supervising or directing a unionized workforce. But we, you know, we've seen that there has been a more aggressive approach at, you know, in an attempt to organize new and different industries. What other industries besides, you know, the common ones like manufacturing and construction should expect increases in activity under both the Biden administration with, with Marty Walsh as the secretary of labor? Well, two, in reverse the trend, the declining trend of union representation in the United States, they're going to have to expand to other industries beyond your manufacturing and construction. And the DOL is going to try to help with that. I think certainly retail and service, I mean, that's where the economy has moved towards and particularly the service industry. And so to increase union membership, you've got to target you know, your service employers and your retail employers. Now, healthcare is expanding greatly, and there's already some representation in healthcare facilities, but you're likely to see a push there too. So, I, I think in expanding beyond your traditional union represented industries, that's how they can gain a lot of new membership. And, and they're going to change the rules. And that, as soon as you have a general counsel in place who's in line with the Secretary of Labor, or if the Secretary of Labor can successfully you know, get through the rules they want to, they're going to bring the ambush election rules back. They will revise the persuader rules. They're going to seek to encourage and allow, as opposed to what Rob has done, you know, neutrality and car check agreements. He's cut back on those and found a lot of them to be unlawful, but they're going to find that they are lawful and that they are, in fact, encouraged. You know, happens in every administration, the joint employment rules are going to change. So it's going to be easier for a, a contractor um, or a subsidiary to be able to negotiate with the, the host employer in collective bargaining. So those are changes you'll see, and, and they'll likely try to increase education as far as unions go, put, put money into education in different industries to try to increase union representation. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think a lot of our clients that are in traditionally non-unionized environments are going to have to be on the lookout because as the rules change and an efforts made to expand into what have previously been very difficult to organize, like retail and you know multi-facility uh, retail industry, food and beverage, you know, those have historically been difficult to organize. But as the rules change, they're going to get easier. And our clients, you know, I'm worried that a lot of them are unprepared for some of the changes that are coming with respect to the the ease with which a workforce can be organized. So we're going to, you know, we're going to have to be on the lookout for that. 
Another issue that the Department of Labor has jurisdiction over is the wage and hour laws. And you mentioned it in passing a second ago, but we've seen so much discussion about the minimum wage during the campaigns in cities through municipal ordinances around the country. There have been increases in the minimum wage. What can an aggressive Biden administration with someone like Marty Walsh as the Secretary of Labor do to increase the federal minimum wage? Do we, do we think that is a likely occurrence? What, what are your expectations with respect to the minimum wage? Well, you're right. It's a big agenda item. And in the elections in Georgia, the candidates and Biden and Harris were all um, sending out tweets that if, you know, if you get these two um, candidates elected, the Democratic candidates elected, that, that you'll get a $15 minimum wage. So that's something they've been promising. So it, it's certainly possible and likely that that'll be a bill that they'll try to get through the Congress. However, as we've discussed, uh, the $15 minimum wage increase seems unlikely to pass due to the filibuster and your moderate Democrats. And Joe Manchin in, in West Virginia, the average wage there, you know, if you increased it to $15 minimum wage, you're going to, you could see loss of you know, employment. And because there are a lot of companies in West Virginia that don't have the $15 minimum wage and other states as well, it's likely to, to get passed, going to have to be more incremental and have smaller changes. And you may be able to get some bipartisan support for increasing the $7.25 minimum wage say a dollar here, a dollar there, but it seems unlikely that you're actually going to get to $15. And that's not something the Department of Labor has the power to change itself. It's going to require congressional action. Right. And, you know, we have seen under the Obama administration an attempt to increase the minimum salary threshold for exempt status. And I would anticipate, I suppose you would as well, that there's going to be a renewed effort to um, make up a, a little bit more of a gap there. It was increased, you know, on a kind of a margin in kind of a marginal way um, during the Trump administration. But do we anticipate that there's going to be uh, another effort, you know, another run made at trying to get the minimum salary threshold to a higher number so that more people are eligible for overtime? I think certainly. And, and uh, President Obama, that was one of his proudest accomplishments, at least for a short time, was was getting the increased threshold um, passed through the Department of Labor. But it never actually was enacted because it was an injunction was issued, which enjoined it it taking effect. So given that, that's something that Biden has discussed a lot during the campaign is getting this threshold increased. So I think we're likely to see fairly early on similar rules to what Obama had passed to be adopted, whether it could be 47,000 threshold and they, they may make some changes to the duties rules to try to hold up through any injunctions that are filed against the new rules that take effect. But I, I think this will certainly be an emphasis point. There have also been discussions about rescinding several of the opinion letters that Trump's DOL has issued. Also, the new regulations on fluctuating workweek method, the TIP credit regulations that have come into to effect, I think they're certainly likely to be challenged. But after those are revoked, I think you're likely to see a new threshold regulation put into place. So my biggest fear, if I ran a company, would be trying to manage paid sick leave. And it seems somewhat inevitable that paid sick leave is coming. You know, so unpaid sick leave is hard enough to manage. And and Walsh, you mentioned earlier, was mayor of a state that already has paid sick leave. 
So I assume that we can expect a focus on some type of paid sick leave for employees, similar to what the FFCRA created during the pandemic. You know, I guess my first question is, do you see this happening during this administration? And then what would that look like? It's my expectation that the horse is already out of the barn when it comes to paid sick leave as a result of the FFCRA. People are just assuming it's going to happen. Do you agree with that? What what do you think it's going to look like in 2021? Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think there's bipartisan support for some paid sick leave increases. The Healthy Families Act would allow for basically your FMLA leave to be paid, 12 weeks of paid leave. I think that's a little too much and too fast. So I don't think that's likely to, to pass Congress. But the FFCRA has made a lot of people see that this is something that you can have. It's not going to you know, destroy employers' ability to operate. And so you may see you know, your two weeks of leave get brought in the bill, and, and there may be a good chance of passing that. You know, hopefully there'll be good regulatory support for that. And um, so it can give employers a good expectation of what, what they need to do to comply with the act. And then finally, and obviously there are a lot of other topics that are going to be left unexplored during this conversation. But one of the last things I wanted to mention in the time that, that we want to spend on this that's left is OSHA. And you mentioned earlier that Marty Walsh has really had a, a focus on safety um, as a union boss, you, you know that that's been probably part of his experience over the years is to, you know, to focus on s- specific safety rules and regulations. So how do we anticipate that OSHA will change in a Biden administration? Um, he's emphasized both funding and enforcement. And, and this is, you know, obviously a statute that falls under the Secretary of Labor's jurisdiction. How do you expect that the Department of Labor is going to get out of the gate on OSHA under a brand new Biden administration with the mandate that they have. And I think we discussed this is likely to be the first um, area that that employers will see an immediate impact is is OSHA. Um, Because we know that Biden's administration is already working to draft temporary rules that will take effect um, related to the pandemic and safety practices that employers have to put into place during the pandemic. They've had a lot of criticism, and there's been a lot of criticism of what Trump's OSHA has done during the pandemic, both with rules or regulations as well as enforcement. Trump's OSHA has relied entirely, if anything, on the general duty clause, the 5A1 clause of OSHA in issuing penalties or conducting inspections. But there haven't been been that many penalties. There haven't been that many inspections. We're likely to see that increase immediately. When Biden takes office with a new rule in place that will make it easier to issue citations, issue penalties, conduct a greater number of inspections. And if he wants to increase the number of inspections, the number of inspectors, that's going to take some time because you have to bring people in. You have to get the money through Congress and you have to get them trained. But with the capacity OSHA has now, certainly that's something that you could see increased right away. And that you're likely to, you know, early in the new year. So, Ron, we're both lawyers. Let's wrap up this conversation with some advice and counseling, if we can. What 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 are the principal things that you believe our clients should be doing to prepare for all of these changes that we've just discussed that are coming in 2021? Any thoughts on that? 
Yeah, and just through this whole conversation, I think from both of us, you've seen that the two areas where we expect the most emphasis from Biden's Department of Labor is going to be you know, in labor organizing and safety. And so I think those are going to be the immediate impact and the immediate focuses. And during Trump's administration, there's been some labor organizing, but it's certainly declined since the Obama administration, at least from what we've seen. And I think you're, you can certainly, with a more friendly NLRB, a more friendly general counsel, you can expect labor organizing to increase quickly during the Biden administration. So training your supervisors and managers, making sure you're treating your employees fairly, that you're competitive as far as wages and benefits, you know, conducting audits of those areas. That's all. That's certainly important to do quickly to make sure that you're in a good place in the event that you had union organizing at your facility. As far as OSHA goes, you can expect more inspections, inspect more citations. And so get your, make sure you're, you're in line with all the OSHA regulations, but particularly that you have good safety practices and are following CDC and OSHA guidance related to COVID-19, because that will come up quickly and you need to be prepared for it. To me, those are the two major things, but um, we'll see new changes related to handbook practices and policies and things like that uh, as time goes by. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, because we have discussed the fact that we have a little bit of time before some of these changes can become effective, I think it's important for clients to really start now looking at what their policies and procedures, you know, have there, have there been updates during the Trump administration that have not been made just because there was no sense of urgency for it. There's a sense of urgency now. You know, the, the, the employers out there need to begin pairing materials, um, looking at their policies and procedures as it relates to safety, OSHA compliance, all of these things that we can do in the next few months to be prepared for more aggressive enforcement, more aggressive audits for the union to come knocking on the door, even in industries where there's never been an expectation that that could occur, I think it's important now to anticipate that that will happen and to have the materials in place, to be prepared. There's no substitute for having a game plan ready to go when these things occur. And you know, I, I expand that out even into enforcement under wage and hour laws, the, the Department of Labor audits looking into the, the manner in which we pay our employees, especially if we have a lot of contractors um, evaluating whether there's misclassification issues. So all of those things I think employers can be doing right now as we prepare for some of the changes that we anticipate will come, you know, at least by fall, you know, with the, with the new board and as Marty Walsh gets his feet under him and begins to implement some of the Biden agenda that is most important to them. I think that, that those are things that our clients can be doing. Any more thoughts from you, Ron? Well, a few things we haven't mentioned that I think are likely to increase. Um, reporting for both OSHA and the EOC, you know, as far as wage rates, salaries, and genders and races with the EOC, actually OSHA reporting the injuries rather than just recording them. During the Trump administration, we haven't seen much related to restroom use and gender, gender identity. Uh, I think that's likely to pop back up again yeah. Um, yeah. from the Department of Labor. And so those are just a few things to you know, keep your eye on. Um, but it's going to be interesting with 
the Democratic Congress and you know, division with the Democrats between your more progressive side and your more moderate side and what they choose to bring forward and what the reaction to maybe the moderate side not bringing forward some of the things that the progressive side wants to bring forward. So I think there'll be some division within both parties that that'll definitely make the news coming out the next couple of years in advance of the 2022 elections. Very interesting. Right. I agree. And I hope that this conversation has been helpful to everyone who has listened. Um, I hope that it's offered some practical advice. Thank you to everyone who's joined us and be on the lookout for future podcast episodes from our labor and employment series. And in addition, Burn Foreman has a library of podcasts that are available on other legal topics like our weekly Take 5 podcast that gives you the top five things you need to know each week as it relates to immigration. Um, and then also our new women's podcast series that focuses on women's issues in the workplace. You can find these podcasts and other information about our firm at burr.com. That's B-U-R-R dot com. Again, thanks to everybody for joining us and we hope you have a great day.